Praise the Lord. All right, so we are here in our first session of the Foundations uh, Sunday School class, and I'm going to be teaching from up here since my group is a little bit bigger than normal, okay? So uh, I'm going to be teaching from up here. So you all have a handout. I'll explain that in a little bit, uh, but just go ahead and put that aside because really it has nothing to do with our lesson today. It has some to do with it, but our lesson's completely separate. That's why I mentioned before, uh, that's your homework, okay? So we're going to I'll be going through this particular book right here. This, that is copy because I didn't have enough of these. Uh, so I will just say this. I'll give a disclaimer. Uh, the copies I'm giving you, keep them for personal use. Okay, don't photocopy them and give them to other people. Okay, there's a book here. The only reason I'm doing that is because I know the author. Okay, I know Brother Olson. I know who wrote it. And I know he would not mind me doing this in a class setting. So, but if you need the book to give to somebody else, please get the book. Okay, because I have plenty of them. I just didn't have enough for this particular uh, size of class. Uh, so, we'll get a new one of these every week. There are eight of these. Uh, we're only going for six weeks, but there are eight different lessons, but uh, we'll give you those as we go along. But this does have something to do with what we are talking about today. All right, so we did have a memory verse that Brother Scott gave us uh, last week, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. What a wonderful verse. And some of you might be wondering, well, what has happened to Brother Hallman's King series? Uh, it has put on, been postponed. Uh, the reason is so many people signed up for this class uh, that we're just going to postpone it a little bit. The two weeks that I'm gone, I'm going to be teaching this for this week, next week, and the week after. Uh, and so we'll get halfway through this series. Then Brother Scott's going to pick up for the two weeks. While I'm gone, he's going to do that. And he's going to finish up, I think, in another two lessons after that, uh, or one or two, finish up his series on the Kings. And then when I come back, we'll do the other three parts of this, okay? Uh, good to have the teens with us this morning. All right. Teens, are you excited to be here? Good. There's a section of teens missing. Where did they go? Oh, they have food. Okay. Well, they better eat it quick. Okay, there they are. Okay. So uh, they're eating the food up there. But we have memory verse for today uh, that we're going to start working on uh, over the next three weeks. And it's our theme verse. Our theme verse for this week is being rooted and built up in Christ. And Colossians 2 7. Let's turn over there, Colossians 2 7. Uh, we're going to say this twice out loud together. And this is the theme verse for the year. So this is apt uh, to what this whole class is about. Um, and a lot of the things you're going to hear today, if you've been saved any length of time, they're going to be familiar to you, but we need to review some of them. Uh, we need to make sure we have it set. However, uh, perhaps you're going to hear something that is foundational in a little bit of a different way today. Uh, but Colossians 2, verse number 7, Colossians 2, 7. And so if we could, if we could say it out loud together, let's read it out loud together twice, uh, and then uh, we will work on in two weeks' time, uh, that would be on February 3rd, I'm pretty sure, uh, that there will be, let's see, yes, February 3, uh, that we'll have our, we'll be quoting that, okay? So we'll put that up there, we'll review this every week, but then we'll say it on February 3. So let's begin together, Colossians 2, 7. Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as he had been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. One more time. Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as he had been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. 
Wonderful. Well, let's pray together. Do keep Brother Hammonds in your prayers. Uh, he pulled his back out again, so he's in a lot of pain this morning. So be in prayer for him this morning. But let's pray and ask God's blessing. Dearly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. I pray your blessing today. We pray that you would guide us, Lord, in your word. And I thank you that we could be here today. And we thank you that so many are interested in this class. Dear Lord, I pray this morning that you'd help me to be clear and concise, Lord but also impactful in reviewing and also just seeing the foundation that we have in yourself. I pray that you be with Brother Hammonds, be with his back, Lord, and the pain that he's in. Help him, Lord, to feel better soon and have relief from that pain. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, okay? So lesson number one this morning. Uh, so, oh, Brother Cole, I forgot to tell you, there's two separate... Uh, Presentations. The first one is Sunday school. The second one's for this after evening morning service. Forgot to tell you that. All right, lesson number one. So we're looking at the correct foundation. This is the foundation Sunday school class, and we all know that if your foundation isn't right, the building is not going to be right. Uh, it happens in Texas a lot. There are houses that have foundation problems. Uh, if you ever look on the real estate market and you're looking out there and you see a beautiful home, you know it's a four-two. It's 2,300 square feet. It's only $185,000. And it's only 10 years old. You're like, what in the world? This is an amazing deal. It looks beautiful on the inside. You go down, you scroll through the description, and it says, disclaimer, has date has slab issues. Contact for more information. Oh, it's only going to be $45,000 to fix it. Right. And if you have and here's the thing, if you're why they're selling it so cheap is because your mortgage company will not give you a loan on it. So you got to buy it cash and then come up with forty five thousand dollars or get it. Or a lot of times people end up having to get it repaired and then sell their house at a loss. What a disaster. And, you know, we can get through we can have a foundation that we're building on that after a while doesn't. Begin, begins to show some problems and some weaknesses. Uh, maybe you've been saved a short amount of time or maybe many years. And you're like, you know what, Pastor, I'm just being honest with you. I see some cracks. I see some problems. What could be the issue? Well, we're going to start from the bottom and work our way up. That's our plan during this next couple of weeks. And uh, I want to welcome you to it. So, um, like I said, I'm so pleased so many are here. I uh, loved having breakfast this morning, so we'll definitely do that again. Uh, it is my intention to teach this series of lessons so that everyone can benefit and grow with these lessons. I understand, getting back to basics, I understand that this is not a new converts Sunday school class because there are some that are younger in the Lord, some that have been saved for many, many years. So I'll just be honest with you, as a teacher, that is challenging uh, to get something where everybody is. But we're going to be reviewing a few things today. Um, so in order to build, we need to have that solid foundation, and we're going to look at the realities of what Christ has done for us, and for the most precious reality is that of, being, of our salvation. And so one of the most crippling attacks of Satan on the Christian is in the area of salvation, either a false salvation, that's where the devil brings a lie in, a false salvation, a false basis for the foundation, a false foundation. Or that, or no assurance of salvation because of a misunderstanding, or just to be honest, a lack of knowledge of the reality of what Christ has done for us. That's what the plan is for the lesson today. And my goal is to put, is simple, to put thoroughly, a thorough look at salvation. We look at salvation, uh, but today is going to be a little bit of a more thorough look, and uh, also the assurance that we have in what Christ has finished on the cross. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 3, if you turn over there, 
1 Corinthians 3, we're going to begin in verse number 11, go down through verse number 15, uh, because at the end of the day, our foundation is Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. So the foundation that we see is salvation. That's where we're going to begin today. And what you build on it is up to you. Are you going to allow God to be the builder of the life, builder of your walk with him, builder of your family, builder of whatever God has you doing, or are there going to be things that are going to be counterfeit, the wood, hay, and the stubble? We're going to get into that in the later lessons. We're going to focus mostly upon verse number 11 today. For other, men, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So number one this morning, you're taking notes. I highly encourage that you do so. Uh, there's going to be some verses on here. We're going to spend a lot of time in Romans and Hebrews this morning. We're going to go back and forth, back and forth, because these two books are foundational. I'll say that again. These two books are foundational. You want to understand salvation? You need to understand these two books, especially the first eight chapters of Hebrews. So we're going to be looking at this and going back and forth because we're going to look at, number one, where it all begins. We know Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the originator of it, and he finished it on the cross. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Why? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus, the beginning and the ending. You cannot follow after, be a Christian, unless you come to Christ. Because that is what a Christian is, being like Christ and coming to him for salvation. Uh, we also know this, he's the author and finisher. Jesus also is our propitiation in Romans 3.25, whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. He is also, Jesus is our justification. Romans 4.24-25, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. These are precious and wonderful truths, but all of these verses, what do they mean? Propitiation is not a word we use, is it? Neither is justification. We can, I can get up here and I can preach wonderful messages on this. And for those of you that know those words, it's a precious truth. But for a lot of people, they don't know what those words mean. Like, this is wonderful. It's great. I'm excited. But I don't understand. So that's what we're going to look at today. What does this mean? And we're going to get a little basic today. But also, the basic truths of the Word of God are the most wonderful. And they are something that we can hang our hat on and have confidence in. Why? Because God has made it clear and we understand them. Can I say this? You're never going to be able to walk with God until you understand your salvation. 
You're never going to be able to walk with God and have assurance of your salvation if you don't understand it. I can Now, let me say this. Can someone be saved and trust Christ without having a full understanding of everything that goes on? Yes, absolutely. However, the assurance and the growth, you need to have the foundation of what it means. And it's a wonderful thing to understand what it means because it's going to give you a lot of hope and it's going to be an exciting day for you today. So I'm, when I'm saying this, this morning, I'm taking these wonderful propitiation, justification, the author and finisher, and I'm bringing it down to where we can all understand it because not everybody in here didn't go to Bible college. If you go to Bible college, you learn all about these things. But it's my job as your pastor to get it down to a level you understand it. And it's actually, they're, they're big words, but actually the truths are very simple. But they're wonderful truths. So let's look at here. First, we have to understand something. Why do we need all of this? Why do we need Jesus to be the author and finisher of our faith, our propitiation, our justification? Why? Why does Jesus need to be the beginning and the ending of our salvation? Well, let's look at how. Number two, man's hopeless condition. Man's hopeless condition. The greatest hurdle that one can encounter is that of a human being seeing his condition, the truth of his condition. What do we think today? People think they're good. You know, we're all good people that sometimes do bad things. We think we're good. We think that there, that there are good, and, you know, there's some bad people out there. But mostly we're good. You know, those bad people, the ones that are in prison, the ones that commit murder, uh, the ones that do atrocities that you find in the news. Well, those are the bad people, but the rest of us are good people. We judge our actions against that of others' standards and morals that we know. Well, I'm better than the other person. Uh, I will... Uh, I'm better than the other person. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not as bad as these other people. You know, I'm not an alcoholic. You know, I don't uh, live on the street and these different, I'm better than they are. So I'm a good person. The problem with this is that we build a framework of self-righteousness. And that's what our society, that's what humankind has done since the garden. They build a framework of self-righteousness. And then here it is. Then there is this teaching that is inside the framework, that is a religious framework, that there is the ability to achieve heaven through their own merit. That if you're good enough, if you do good, if you come to church like you're coming this morning and you learn the word of God and you do what it says, you don't lie, you don't steal, you don't curse and you do good for the best that you know how and you're generous and you're kind and you don't, uh, you don't talk bad about people, then if you do that, then you're going to go to heaven because those are only bad things that are inside of you and you just got to make sure you don't do those and you can earn your way there. That's inside the framework of self-righteousness. You know, this may sound acceptable, however, if you have that framework that man is inherently good, we just, we've been corrupted a little bit, and, you know, we have some sin. Um, and that may sound acceptable, but there is a fatal assumption that man is making. And we'll look at that, what assumption is. In order to see your need of salvation, one must first dispense with this view and embrace what God tells us in his word. So what saith the scriptures? Romans 3, 23, what does it say? For all have what? And come short of the glory of God. A verse that we often use. However, there is a key question that must be asked. And here it is. This is an interactive class. I'll just let you know that. I'm going to ask some questions. So feel free to respond. When I ask a question, I'm not being rhetorical. Okay, I want an answer. Just raise your hand and give an answer, okay? Can you all do that? Good. Some of you raised your hand. Some of you said, yes, okay. Yes, you respond. Okay, we understand. So here it is. Why is someone a sinner? Why is someone a sinner? Kendarius. 
Okay, that's good. Hold that thought. That's very good. All right. Who else? Why is someone a sinner? Why is that? Who has the thought? Isaiah. Ah, very good. So you're, we're, we're sinners because, or we sin because we're sinners, or we sin because we sin, sinners because we sin. There's a difference there. Okay, very good. Any other thoughts on that? Yes, John. Correct. Very good. All right, excellent. Okay, so I think we understand this because uh, have you ever heard this, even from an independent Baptist church pulpit? Have you ever heard this? Is that, well, you know, because we, uh, we're all sinners because of the sin that we have done. Have you ever heard that from an independent Baptist church pulpit? Heard that in a children's church? Heard that in a VBS? That's wrong. We're born sinners. We sin because we're sinners. We're born that way. Well, how do we know that? The Bible says, let's look here. Because that can be a fatal assumption. Here it is. Um, this, but that's what the verse says, for all of sin and come show the glory of God. Yes, but inside this very important context, Romans 5.12, Romans 5.12, turn over there. Romans 5.12 is where we're going to be at next. So just a couple of pages over, and it says, Wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Here it is. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Why? We're born in sin. Verse 17, we'll get to that in just a moment. We find that we are sinners by one simple fact. We are born sinners. So the truth is that we sin because we're sinners. Our nature is corrupt. As Brother John just said, our mind is carnal and corrupted by sin from birth. You can't tell me babies aren't sinners. Okay, do they have a knowledge of sin? So that's why it's very important. The, the consequence of sin, of course, is death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. So when we look at Romans 5, 17, go over a couple verses of verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, that's Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. This verse reinforces again the lesson of verse 12, and one may play this off. Some people play, well, that's just semantics, Pastor. You know, really, you know, we're all sinners because we, we sin. The very important and critical difference between we are sinners because we sin and we sin because we, we're sinners, if we simply take that we are sinners because we sin, it assumes that man has some kind of merit, an inherent goodness that sin has corrupted, that if we had not sinned, then we would not have been guilty. Isn't that the assumption? Hold on a second. Isn't that the assumption of what we present to people in some soul winning plans? Well, you're a sinner. We go through all the sins they've committed, right? Are we playing? Are we telling God's truth in the world's way? Let's be honest. I've even done it. Now we're studying this. You know what? That's really the wrong way to go about it. We need to go back to where? The garden. That's where sin came in. And I've done that many times with people. And we look at this. And we say, okay, if we understand man has no merit, when we are born, we are under the judgment of God. That is why we say babies and children under the age of accountability are safe in Christ, not saved. For we are born under the judgment of God, but we know God is just. So they are safe. 
And that's biblical. We see with David, with the child that passed away, he said, I will see him again. Why? Because he was trusting in the justice of God. They were not able to make that decision yet. However, we are born under the judgment of God. If we believe that we are sinners because we sin, then there is something redeemable and acceptable to God in man's nature. Is that the case, though? Well, look at Isaiah 64, 4. But we, all, but we are all as a what unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we do all fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So does that sound like there are some redeemable parts of man that God accepts? No. What do we see in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. What is God saying? I see their heart and his wickedness. I don't see good there. I see wickedness in our lost condition. So this simply seals that man is hopeless and helpless in the area of pleasing God. Now, that's the condition of man. That puts us in the need of what? Salvation. If we have something inherently good in us, and there's something redeemable in us, then perhaps maybe we can turn the tide of sin that's in our life. But if we understand this, that man is hopeless, unborn in judgment, and helpless to reverse it, because you can't change your heritage, can you? No matter what it is, you know, my... Uh, you know, my father and my mother, you know, I can change my name, I can disown them, I can do whatever, but I'm still their son. I can't change that. We can't change our heritage. We can't change where we came from. We can't change who our parents are. The same way our heritage is that of sin through Adam, we can't change that. So what needs to happen? There needs to be an intervention by God, and that's exactly what he did in the person of Jesus Christ. But this brings us to well-meaning but a false thought. When someone, now how many have heard this? <clears throat> uh, we sing this song, right? And we do this in the children's ministry at times. But I've kind of realized this uh, as we go through this. Because some things you just don't think about, you just kind of do, you know. You know, you ever heard that song, I'm in, right, out, right up, right down, right, happy all the time. How many know that song? Right? Oh, great, well, let's sing. I'm in, right? I go, Pastor, are we going to sing in Sunday school? And uh, since Jesus Christ came in and what? Cleansed my heart from sin. Is that what he does? How many think that's what he does? It isn't. Because we're not redeemable. Because if he was just cleaning our heart, then that would mean there was something good there to begin with. That's not what he does. He gives us a new heart. Isn't that right? That's theological. You know why? Because the Bible says it. Let's look over in the book of Ezekiel, verse, chapter 11. Ezekiel 11, and then also 2 Corinthians 5. We'll turn over there. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse number 19. And it says, well, we'll turn over there. I'll let you turn over. Get over Ezekiel 11. Get out your Bible. Get over there. All right, Ezekiel 11. There we go. Teenagers, you got some Bibles? There's Bibles in the ends of the pews if you need one. No, if you need the Bible there. All right. Ezekiel 11, verse 19. And what does it say? And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And here it is. I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a cleaned creature. Is that what it says? He is a reformed creature. No, it says he is a new creature. Words are important. 
a new creature, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Let's ask, you know, this is what's an amazing part of this. Benjamin, so have you received the Lord as your Savior? All right, when did that happen? A while ago. All right, so do you know, because of this truth, that Benjamin, who was before that moment, you're not the same person anymore. Do you know that? We don't necessarily think that. We're like, well, I'm, we many times remember ourselves before we were saved and what we used to be. But what this teaches is you're not the same person. You're different. Right? Right? And that we, if you think about that, so we many times judge ourselves by the past before that moment. We judge ourselves by the past sins and the past things we did. And we look at that and say, well, uh, you know, I've changed. Yes, because you're not that person anymore. Because God's made you new. Isn't that exciting? That's great. I don't want to be the way I used to be. But here it is, is we have this idea that we think that's the way we ought, that's we used to be this way, and that's the way we've, we've grown up, and that's the way we've learned to be. Therefore, it's the way I must be. But is that true? No, it's not. And we're getting in more of this as we go. But how does this happen? We're not reformed. We're brand new. We no longer are the people that we once were. Well, what hope does mankind have if we're irredeemable, we're hopeless and helpless? That brings us to number three, because the only hope we have is redemption through Christ's blood. This is important. Uh, Many times we focus on Jesus' death on the cross, and as we should. However, it wasn't just his death on the cross, and the main part of his sacrifice was his blood. Uh, we see in Hebrews 9.22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. So we are going to see in our passage here that our salvation, we looked here, let's go back to 1 Corinthians uh, 3 uh, in verse, uh, and down through these verses, hold on, think of another passage, I'll get there in a minute. Uh, but we see in Hebrews especially that through his, through his blood, all through Hebrews, we see through his blood, through his blood, through Colossians, through Corinthians, is all through his blood, right? Uh, we looked at our verse that we're memorizing, right? Colossians 2.7. In that passage, once again, you'll see over and over again, when we're looking at our salvation and we're looking at what God has ahead of us, and what God has for us, all of it is based on one thing. Uh, as you have been taught, and we go down through Colossians, and we go through Corinthians, and you go through Hebrews, you're going to see something. The blood is mentioned, let's say, through his blood, mentioned over and over again. So, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. So those who do not teach that we are saved by Christ's blood, very simply, and you're going to see this today, are heretics. So we're not saved by the blood of Jesus. I'm sorry. When John MacArthur wrote his book to attack the essential doctrine of the blood, that's heretical. Are we going to get an amen out of that? Okay, because a lot of people follow John MacArthur today. I'm sorry, he's a heretic for believing that. Now he backed off it a little bit because he realized how big of a uh, problem he created. Uh, not only that, MacArthur's a Calvinist, which is also heretical. So he's, uh, don't, go, don't go read his stuff. Okay, a lot of people have a study Bible. Well, he has a lot of good thoughts, yes, that are based in erroneous doctrines. Anyway, so perhaps the most important doctrine in all the Bible that stretches from Genesis to Revelation is the doctrine of the blood. 
You see that from the garden, the first blood sacrifice and giving man what? A covering of his nakedness, of his shame, all the way through Revelation is that of the blood. And this morning we're going to look at three aspects of the shed blood of Christ. Uh, The first aspect is, what is the blood for? What, What is the purpose of it? Well, the first purpose that we're going to look at, the blood that is shed is for God to see. That is the covering. Uh, we see this in the Passover in Exodus. When they, when they had the Passover, God directed them to take a lamb and to kill it and take its blood and put it over the doorpost, over the top of the door and down the doorposts. But they were to be where? Inside of the house. Eat, then they would cook up the lamb and they would eat it and unleavened bread. What was the purpose of that? It wasn't for man to see. It was for God to see and to see that their sin was covered and to pass over. This was a picture of the sacrificial system that all pointed to who? Christ as the Passover lamb. That's why Jesus was crucified at Passover. He is the Passover lamb. Uh, Then we see also in Leviticus 16, on the day of atonement, the high priest in in the presence of all the congregation of the tabernacle, they would all be there in the outer court, but then the high priest would go in and would take the blood of the lamb and go into the holy of holies and would sprinkle blood on not only the altar, but also on the ark of the covenant and what? It was not for the audience to see. It was only the high priest and God was to see it. It was to take care of the the sin of the congregation. And only the high priest was allowed to sprinkle it. So what does that mean for us? That our salvation is through the shed blood of Christ. When we accept the finished work of the cross, when God looks on us, he does not see our goodness, he sees the blood. He does not excuse our sin or overlook our sin. He does not see it because it has been covered by the blood. Amen. The past and all its stain, that's why the the songs about the blood that we sing are so important because all that has been covered. God no longer sees it. The reality of Romans 4, verses 7 and 8 is now clear, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are what? covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Why? Because it is he is covered. We are covered. Their sins are covered by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ satisfies what God's requirement for a covering for our sin. Since the requirement has been satisfied, we are forgiven. Not because of our own merit, but because of Christ's merit. We are forgiven, and this is a sure foundation because the blood of Christ will never change, never has and never will. If we base our salvation on our goodness, that foundation will change and move. If we base it on anything else, it's it's shifting sand, and it will not hold up. The sure foundation is Christ in his blood. It has never changed and never will change. It is forever settled. No man can take it away because it wasn't of ours to it wasn't given to us by man and it cannot be taken away by man. That's why we're safe in the hand of God because he has accepted his son and the beloved. Amen. His son is accepted and through his blood who covers our sin, we are accepted as he is accepted. So don't worry, your salvation isn't going anywhere. 
You're not going to lose it. It's not based on your own merit. And that's why we look at the second aspect of the blood that is shed. It is not only for God to see, it is for man to see, the second aspect of it. Another aspect is that the blood has satisfied God, as we just looked at. Then it should satisfy us. Well, what do you mean? Well, what I mean is that before we are saved, we are dead and blind spiritually. We have no pangs of conscience over sin. We do not see our sin uh, or its offense to God until that day came when God opened our eyes and our need of salvation by trusting Christ alone was made clear. After we're saved, after that, our conscience has been awakened to sin. And in so doing that, we can become sensitive to sin. And that's a good thing. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. However, this sensitivity to sin can steal away our assurance of salvation. Perhaps I'm not really saved. A saved person would not do that, etc. Those type of thoughts, we become oversensitive to it instead of what? Then we'll, at this point, we are trusting in God's merit or are we trusting in our own? Trusting in our own merit because that's man's natural inclination, his natural thought. The reality is that the blood of Christ also can cleanse our conscience of offense toward God. Turn to Hebrews 10 for a moment. Hebrews 10. Not only to cleanse our sin and to re- give us a new heart, but also even after, say, 1 John 1, 9, because some people say, well, preacher, I don't know if I agree with the whole cleansing the heart thing, because 1 John 1, 9 doesn't say, but if we confess our sins, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, but you're already saved. 1 John's to Christians. Yes, our heart can become dirty with sin. It will be cleansed. But that's after salvation. The salvation is a new, not a cleansing. Although, if you look at all those verses that talk about a cleansing of the heart, it has to do with, we hear David mention it. Is David's already saved. He needed cleansing from sin with a sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. So we see a cleansing, purge me with hyssop, created me what a clean heart, O oh God. But that's after salvation. Uh, so we look here, Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near, here it is, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. What does that mean? Full assurance of faith in what? What the blood has done to cover your sin. Have full assurance of that. Don't doubt that. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Was that sin no longer has a hold on us so we don't have to be offended in our conscience and constantly worrying, am I really saved? Constantly stressed and worried. No, the full assurance of faith is in the blood. You had nothing to do with your salvation. It has nothing to do with how you feel about it. You're saved if you have trusted the blood of Christ and you put your full faith in assurance. Be assured of that. And because of that blood, it will sprinkle you of an evil conscience, a conscience that is overwhelmed with offense toward God. Let it be put to rest. You're forgiven. When people who are stressing over past sin or past habits or past mistakes, and I just tell you kindly, trust in the blood. It's under the blood. That's why we sing the song. It's under the blood. You don't need to sit there and stress about it and worry about it. Did God really forgive it? He's able to save you to the uttermost. That's completely. So don't worry about it. Put it out of your mind as something. I don't need to worry about that. And guess what? That gives you great freedom and great assurance. This will create assurance that you are his. We can have a rock solid foundation by simply taking God at his word regarding the blood of Christ. This is how we're saved. But then number three, the blood that, the blood that is shed is for Satan to see. Oh, does he? he hates it when we are taken out of his kingdom. 
Before we are saved, we are alienated from God because of our sin. We are the enemy of God. Though God loves us, he is unable to come to our aid due to our positional crisis. We are the enemy of God because of our sin. So Satan is able to have power over us, for he is greater than we are. He's able to enslave us in our sin, to be our master and our dictator, before he is greater than all except Christ and God. However, when we trust Christ, the blood of Christ takes us from being the enemy of God to now the child of God. We've received the adoption of sons and daughters. Now we are in fellowship with God, and now God is able to be on our side and aid us in the fight against the devil. Now we have a new master. The reality of the previous aspect becomes clear. Satan might try to tell us we are unworthy, that the sins we are committing make us unworthy of God or his service. He succeeds in disabling us if we begin to think along these lines, for he has succeeded in getting us to think again that there is still some good merit in us that makes us acceptable to him. Well, I must, I've got to keep doing the right things, and if I don't do the right things, I'm just rejected of God. I'm nothing, I'm dirt, I'm alienated from God. No, you'll always be his because of the blood. He'll never turn his back on you because of the blood. So don't sit there and bemoan your sin and say, well, I'll never get victory over it because that's just how I am. Then you are denying the power of the blood of Christ. You are denying the power of a transformed life. You are saying, God really didn't do it. He did. You're just believing the lie. And that is completely up to you whether you believe it or not. And that's how the devil disarms so many people. That's how the devil gets people out of church. That's how the devil gets people still enslaved in the sins that they are free from because of the blood of Christ. This will disarm the attacks of Satan in our hearts and especially the assurance of our salvation. Because God is now our father and ally. He will send Satan fleeing. We can send my father take care of this one. And he will. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. You know how you resist him? By saying, you don't have any hold on me. Nothing you're saying is true. You can try and make me feel bad, but you're not going to succeed because I'm trusting in the blood. Because what the problem is, why we get stressed out by the Satan's attacks, because we have what you're doing by being stressed out about it, you're giving credence that he's telling the truth. He's not. His main job and main strategy is to be the accuser of the brethren. And to go into before the Lord and accuse, isn't that what he did with Job? But Job was covered by the promise of the coming shed blood of Christ. That's the hedge that's around us is the blood of Christ. That's the hedge, how important that is. I know that I've gone through many things this morning. I'm just glad I got through four pages of note on time. The Lord help me. I pray that these truths, can I say, these truths are so important. They're foundational. This is the foundation. Have a full assurance of what Christ has done for you. If you're not saved today, if you're trusting in anything else except the blood of Christ, your salvation has a false foundation. If you're trusting in the baptism, baptism has, doesn't save. It never has and never will. Do you know what baptism is? When we go down into the water, we go in the likeness of his death, but also, what are you done? You're covered with water. The picture of the blood of Christ that you're covered with. It's not in our goodness because there's nothing redeemable in man. The Bible makes that very, very clear. These truths will lay the foundation upon which God can build and what we'll start to do 
from this day forward. So there are some assignments for today, okay? For those who would like to study the book by Brother Olson, I have, a cop- have the copies that I gave out today to do for homework, to work through it, read through it, read the verses, and just understand the lesson, okay? Now, for some of you who are more seasoned and would like to study more, so I, I would like to study my Bible more, can I challenge you to read through Romans 1 through 6 and the book of Hebrews? And take a pen and underline each time the blood of Christ is mentioned and what that context is. That will help you get a great understanding. I gave you an introduction today, uh, but there is so much that goes into that, uh, and they're wonderful things. Now that I've given you a little bit of a foundation for it, go through Romans 1 through 6, and then go through uh, Hebrews and look at how many times the blood is mentioned all over the place. God wants us to understand it's by Christ's shed blood that we're saved. And if we understand that, then we can say... I have assurance of my salvation because what Christ did on the cross, he suffered and he bled and he died and he rose again when he said, it is finished. It is finished. And sin is finished in my life. This is also going to give you the foundation you need to have freedom from sin. If you have habitual sin in your life, this is the foundation to have victory. And really what it is, is that Christ already has given you the victory. It's whether or not you will claim the victory. There's a very important difference there. Well, I need to struggle and I need to win over sin. You'll never be able to do that. You'll never be able to win over sin. Sin reigns over us. But because of what Christ did and has done, he gave us the victory. It's simply, are we going to trust in that victory he's already accomplished for us that we don't need to serve sin? When we stop struggling and fighting, and let God, then we see victory. And it's not our victory. It's the victory Christ has already won. We'll look a little bit more about that next week. That's a little bit of a preview there. So, take time this week to do that. But also, uh, Colossians 2.7 is our memory verse. Remember, in two weeks we're going to quote that, but let's pray and be dismissed. Also, before we dismiss, if you're not sure after hearing today, as a preacher, I'm not saved. I want to talk to you. I would love to talk to you between Sunday school and church and take a Bible and show you how you can be saved this morning. Okay, because for some people, that might, this might have rattled you a little bit, like, whoa, that's not what I'm trusting in. Then you need to talk to us, please. And we want to see you trust Christ today. Because the only way is through the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I pray your blessing this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this lesson. I thank you, Lord, for your word, how clear it is, how precious it is. And we can stand rock solid upon it. I pray today that we have learned much. And Lord, that you have encouraged us much. Pray that you would bless as we go into the morning service today. Lord, if any are not saved today in this room or listening online or will listen in the future, I pray that they get saved as soon as possible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.